You're listening to the Luca's Italy podcast with food, culture and history from the land of Rigatoni and Rigoletto. I'm Luca Marchiori and today I'll be talking about some food rules which if you break them get Italians really mad. Regular listeners to this podcast will be very familiar by now with what I call the Italians Mad at Food Brigade. This is a group of people who go crazy if you put pineapple on a pizza or serve spaghetti with meatballs. There are actually many Italian food rules, which are things which you're supposed to do and supposed to not do when cooking and eating. And many of these have become very, very famous recently because of the Italians Mad at Food Brigade and their presence on social media. Now, many of the people who get really mad at food tend to be millennials And actually, many of them can't tell you the reasons behind these rules. However, the rules do exist, and they are respected by the younger and the older generations. In today's episode, I'm going to look at five of these rules and go through my experiences of them. And I'm going to try and find a common thread as to why these rules exist. So by the end of the episode, not only will we have a better understanding of Italian food culture, but we'll also be able to not offend Italians by eating and drinking in the wrong manner. So first up is the rule that you can't drink cappuccino or any kind of milky coffee after 11 o'clock in the morning. Now, some versions of this rule say 10 o'clock in the morning, some versions of the rule say before lunch. But there is this idea that there's a cutoff point for cappuccino or milky coffee. Now, I first discovered this rule when I was about 16 years old, and I was in a British Italian restaurant with my father. And after the meal, the waiter came up to us, the waiter who was not Italian, came up to us and said, "Um, Can I get you anything else? Uh, An espresso, a cappuccino? And I said, Oh, yes, a cappuccino, please. And my father just turned to me and said, no, you'll have an espresso. And I said, but I'd like a cappuccino. And he said, you can't drink cappuccino after 11 o'clock in the morning. Basta. Now, subsequently, this rule has become very famous, but I can attest it is something which is very well known in Italy and also very well respected. On countless occasions, I've been in bars uh, at about 11 o'clock in the morning and I've seen people rush in and go, oh, is it too late for a cappuccino? But by the same token, I've also seen people drinking cappuccino in bars in the afternoon. However, it is a rule which is on the whole respected. Now, some Italians will claim that they get physically sick at the idea of drinking milky coffee or cappuccino after 11 o'clock in the morning. And in fact, I've seen this in one episode in which um, a friend of mine who is Italian was getting married in Italy to a British person And the night before the wedding, we had dinner in a restaurant and it was a mix of her family, who were all Italians, and his family, who were all British. And after the meal, when the waiter asked if we'd like coffee, um, a lot of the British people ordered cappuccino and, of course, all the Italians ordered espresso. And when the waiter brought the cappuccino to the table and was placing it in front of the people... I don't know if it's my imagination, but there seemed to be this kind of disgust (laughs) when he looked at the cappuccino and was placing it in front of these people, as if it was something that the idea made him actually quite ill. And I have another story from a friend of mine who is not Italian, and she was in Rome on business once, and she ordered a cappuccino after dinner um, for her coffee. 
And the waiter looked at her and said, and would miss like a brioche with that? And a brioche, of course, is what Italians eat for breakfast. It's like a croissant, but a bit sweeter. And so basically, he was being very sarcastic and pointing out that cappuccino really is for breakfast and not for after dinner. I've also seen waiters actually physically enforcing this. Um, I was in a bar once and somebody uh, next to me ordered a cappuccino and it was about 11.30 in the morning. And the waiter said, I'm really sorry, we don't have any milk. Yet there was a carton of open milk on the bar behind him. And I could see a couple of cartons of milk in the fridge as well. So basically he was saying no. And obviously in Italy, when it comes to coffee, the idea that the customer is always right doesn't apply. But why is there this rule? Why is there this idea that cappuccino and other milky coffees are just for breakfast and can't be drunk at any other time of day? Well, let's go back to the incident when I was 16 years old and my father refused to allow me to order a cappuccino in a restaurant. Um, I asked him why, and he said, because you won't be able to digest it because milk is heavy on the stomach and basically you can't digest it and you won't sleep and you'll have a, a bad night. So basically, I guess the idea is that this rule is just good sense um, and it's a rule of, of healthy eating. So my second rule is that you can't eat cheese with fish. And this applies uh, especially to pasta, which have fish-based sauces. If you go into an Italian restaurant and you order pasta with ragu, for example, um, they will bring you a thing of Parmesan cheese to put on the pasta. But if you order spaghetti alle vongole, they won't bring the cheese. And if you ask for it, the waiter will probably politely but firmly tell you that you don't eat cheese with fish. Now, it must be said that there are exceptions and that also I know several Italians who in the privacy of their own home will put cheese on some fish sauces uh, with pasta, especially if they involve tuna fish. And therein lies the key, I think, because actually the, the taste profile of, for example, vongole with cheese is actually not very pleasant. And actually, I can't think of it as being being a nice thing. And I think it's just because it's not, they're not two things which go together very well. And so it's developed into a rule that you can't do it because otherwise it won't taste good. Whereas we all know that tuna goes quite well on a pizza. And of course there's cheese on a pizza. So tuna and pizza, tuna and cheese do tend to go quite well together and they actually do taste very nice. Whereas clams and cheese do not. However, as I say, this has developed into this whole thing that you can't put cheese on pasta, which has a fish sauce. And it is very well known and it is very well respected. So staying with what you can and can't eat with pasta, we come to number three, which is you can't eat chicken and pasta together. Again, this is a very famous rule and most Italians will go, no, you just can't do it. And when you ask them, however, nobody can tell you why. Now, I did a little survey once of all my Italian friends, many of whom are very good cooks, and asked, why can't you eat chicken with pasta? And nobody could give me a good answer. Many of them were like, well, I don't really know. And so some of them started speculating, and some thought that maybe it's because pasta can contain eggs, 
and the idea of eating chicken and egg together is a bit strange. But most pasta doesn't contain eggs. It's only the fresh pasta al uovo, as you know, which contains eggs. But the idea of eating chicken and spaghetti, which doesn't contain eggs, um, is also not a good one. Now, another one is that some people say that maybe the tastes are too similar, um, that both pasta and chicken have a slightly bland taste to them. And so actually putting the two together is not very pleasing because you want something a bit more tasty, a bit more um, flavoursome to go with pasta. A couple of times people have questioned the amount of salt, for example, that I prescribe in my recipe for ragu alla bolognese, saying, ah, but it tastes a bit salty um, before you put it on the pasta. And this is because obviously the amount of pasta that you serve with the sauce will kill the saltiness. So I actually quite like this explanation that the flavour profile of chicken and pasta just doesn't go together. Now, another reason perhaps is that anecdotally, um, in my experience, Italians don't eat so much chicken as people in other countries do. Italians do use chicken to make broth um, and they do use chicken um, as main courses sometimes, particularly as um, breaded chicken fillets or breaded chicken breasts but it doesn't really seem to be the go-to meat that it is in certain other countries. I don't know if you'll remember that Amy Riolo in the interview I did with her a couple of weeks ago described chicken as Americans' favourite protein. Well, it certainly doesn't occupy that place on Italian tables. Now, going back to Amy Riolo, I was talking to her about this once, and a couple of weeks later, she sent me a recipe that she found, um, an old recipe from Calabria, which was basically pasta with chicken. And I was like, ah, so it does exist somewhere. And as I say, it was a rather obscure regional recipe from Calabria. And I've done a little bit of research since. And I've actually found a couple of chicken and pasta recipes, which are very regional, very particular to one place and are not widely known in the rest of Italy. So for most Italians, it's true that you can't eat chicken with pasta. But as I said, I can't tell you why. Now, rule number four, again, is something which is very respected. And this is that you can't eat savoury things at breakfast. That breakfast, you only eat sweet things. And this is true. And Italians do tend to have a very sweet tooth, particularly when it comes to breakfast. And going back to um, what I said earlier about brioche, brioche are the things that Italians will eat for breakfast if they have breakfast in a bar. And they come in several different varieties. You can get them with chocolate inside, pistacchio, depending on where you are. And they also come plain. They are very, very similar to croissant, but unlike croissant, they are very sweet. And even the ones with nothing in them, even the empty ones, which are the most like croissant, have like a sweet glaze on the top. And in fact, if you love croissant like I do, you'll go mad in Italy because you go round and round the country looking for a croissant and you can't find it. All you can find are these brioches which look like croissant but are actually quite sweet. Croissants are made with salt and no sugar and so have a slightly salty flavour profile, whereas these brioches are, as I say, sweet. And if you go into a, a small Italian hotel, the breakfast will be sweet. The type of things they tend to eat are fette biscottate, which are like crisp breads with jam. Uh, they eat cake. Uh, there's a very famous cake called plum cake, plum cake, which is basically um, British Madeira cake. 
apparently originally it used to have raisins in it when it first came to Italy back in the 19th century. And plum is an old English word for fruit. So plum cake in English used to be a fruit cake made with raisins rather than plums. And in 19th century Italy, this became very popular. There is a recipe for this in Artusi, which does have raisins in it. But nowadays, plum cake is, is a plain cake, as I say, very similar to um, English Madeira cake, which is eaten for breakfast. And when I've been travelling abroad with Italian friends to places where they do eat savoury things for breakfast, they, they've never touched them. And, and the idea of eating eggs for breakfast is not very popular. If you're staying in a big international chain hotel in Italy or a big hotel, then you will find that there are savoury things on offer for breakfast because they realise that obviously um, many travellers, particularly in Anglo-Saxon countries and Germanic countries, do like to have salty things for breakfast. But in Italy, breakfast is sweet, saltiness, no. And again, nobody seems to know why, but again, an idea is that perhaps because sweetness uh, is based on sugar and sugar gives you energy, it's good to start the day with an energy burst. This also goes for the fact that Italians will drink very strong coffee for breakfast, for the caffeine, not for the taste. And maybe as well, if you avoid, if you eat sweet things for breakfast, you'll avoid them in the rest of the day. And so your body will have time to use up all the energy from the sugar before you go to bed. So my final rule for today is that you don't drink wine with pizza. If you want an alcoholic drink with pizza, you drink beer, not wine. Now, in many parts of Italy, going out for pizza is a Sunday evening tradition. It's what people do on Sunday evenings. And so the pizzeria tends to be very busy on Sunday evenings. And you'll see Italian people uh, sitting around drinking beer or even soft drinks like Coca-Cola with their pizza and not wine. So again, why is this? Well, I think it's got a lot to do with drinking culture in Italy. In Italy, people drink wine because of the way it tastes and also because of the way in which the flavour supports the food that you're eating. Italians drink markedly less wine than foreign people tend to do. When I'm out for dinner with a group of British friends, uh, often if, we're, if there's four of us, we'll get through maybe two bottles of wine. But with my Italian friends, we rarely get through one. And they'll drink the wine with the food. And it's interesting that during the pause between courses, when a lot of British people will be drinking wine during the pause, Italians tend not to drink the wine during the pause, but they wait for the food to come. And I think there's this innate idea that wine doesn't really pair very well with pizza. A lot of Italian wines go very well with things which are slightly salty. If you think of antipasti, Italian antipasti, so things like salami, but also very nice salty cheeses like parmigiano. And then Italian white wines tend to go very well with pasta with fish and with fish main courses. And red wines tend to go very well with things which have got tomato in them. Um, so ragu, um, Italian tomato pasta sauces and red meat. They don't tend to go very well with things which are quite fatty. And I think the fact that there's a lot of melted cheese on the pizza gives the pizza quite a fatty flavour profile. And it just doesn't go very well with wine, or at least with Italian wine. Also, of course, Italian pizzeria tend to have wood-fired ovens, which makes the place, makes the pizzeria itself quite hot inside. And so there's nothing better than to have a nice, cold, refreshing beer with your pizza. 
So those are my five Italian food rules and the, the reasons why. And so let's see if we can come up with any conclusions based on those. Well, the two major themes running through tend to be health, what you can digest easily and what you can't digest easily, and flavour profile, things which do or just don't taste good together. Now, if you look into the history of Italian food, these two things have traditionally been very, very important to Italians. If we remember from the podcast about him or about his book, Pellegrino Artusi's book, which was called La Scienza in Cucina e l'Arte di Mangiar Bene, which translates as science or knowledge in the kitchen and the art of eating well. Well, for Artusi, that thing about the art of eating well is not about, it's not about flavour, it's not about being a bon viveur, but it's actually about eating healthily. And his recipes are riddled with little anecdotes and tips about how to make things which are easily digestible and uh, or that you can't do that or that this recipe is only for those who've got strong stomachs because it's very heavy or it's better eaten at lunch, not in dinner because uh, of the heaviness and it'll, it'll, it will stop you sleeping. And there is, in fact, an appendix at the back of Artuzzi's book, which is called Cucina per gli stomachi deboli which is cooking for those who've got weak stomachs. And many Italian people will tell you, oh, I can't eat that because I can't digest it properly. Or, oh, I love that, but I can't digest it, so I never eat it. So there is this very strong cultural awareness of certain foods being healthy, certain foods being unhealthy, and um, certain foods being easy to digest at certain times, like coffee in the morning or cappuccino in the morning, and certain foods being difficult to digest at certain times, like cappuccino in the evening. And the other theme, of course, is flavour profile, things which do taste good together or that don't taste good together. And again, if you think about the podcast that I did on carbonara, in which the recipe for carbonara developed and went through many, many, many different mutations and finally developed into the recipe for carbonara that we eat today. And people will say, no, no, you can't do anything else with carbonara. Carbonara has to be this. Um, if it's not this, it's not carbonara. And this is because, as I said in that podcast, I think the recipe developed over the years to a point in which the flavour profile was considered to be perfect. And so at that point, the recipe becomes fixed and you can't change it. So the recipe itself becomes a kind of food rule. And in fact, Arcangelo Dandini, in the, in the interview I did with him, in the podcast about souple, said pretty much the same thing. And so again, basically, it's considered that chicken and pasta don't taste good together, that wine and pizza don't taste good together. And so these have become fixed rules too. And then of course, over the years, these rules become rules, they become things that everybody respects, and people forget the real reasons behind them. Just as people today have forgotten that it was considered okay to put cream in carbonara in the late 1980s. I was doing a bit of preparation for this episode. I found, yes, again, an Italian who's very, very knowledgeable about Italian food and what you can do, who basically said that a carbonara is not a carbonara if it has extraneous ingredients in it, such as cream. Well, tell that to Gualtiero Marchesi and all the people who were writing recipes for carbonara with cream in them until the early 1990s. So like I say, once these rules become fixed, they just turn into rules and people forget the reason behind them. So next time you're in Italy, um, you will know what to do, what not to do, and um, when to drink your cappuccino, when not to drink your cappuccino, and when to put parmesan on your pasta, and when not to put parmesan on your pasta.
Having said that, in my opinion, food, of course, is all about eating. It's all about pleasure. And if there's something that you like, then just do it, whether there's a rule against it or not. So thank you once again for listening to my podcast. And again, we've reached a rather special milestone with this podcast today in that this is podcast number 20. And I was looking the other day at the download statistics from podcast one to podcast 20, and there's a definite trend upwards. Uh, So thank you very, very much out there um, for listening to my podcast and for supporting it and for giving me reviews and making beautiful comments on my website. I just want to say thank you in particular to Joni, who is my newest patron on patreon.com and who's signed up for all sorts of little extras for the podcast. So as I say, if you're interested in receiving some of these extras, pop along to patreon.com. And uh, as I say, the link is in the show notes and you can become a patron too. So I'll be back next week with yet another dose of Italian food, culture and history. All that remains is for me to say thank you very much and have a good week. Ciao.